Screw it, screw it, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to Screw It, we're just going to talk about Spider-Man and this is the podcast where we do just that. We talk about Spider-Man, specifically the uh, initial run of comics that were done by the original creative team of Stanley and Steve Ditko. Now, get ready for some information. I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Will Hines. I'm the other co-host. My name's Kevin Hines and we're the original creators of this podcast, so in a way, we're honoring the original issues. We're original creators who respect other original creators. We're also brothers. We're on opposite sides of the country. There's a lot of technology involved in this podcast. It's pretty exciting. Um, This episode, we're doing um, issue 14 and we have a special guest Mr. Scott Ackerman. Hello Scott. Hi guys, how are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, thrilled to have you. Um, I berated you to accepting my invitation of appearing on your podcast. I hope it was all right. <laughs> oh, wait, so. You're the second guest after Alex Fernie, who was on this. Second after, guest after Alex? You're so the, the se- no, the, sorry, the second guest total, <laughs> including Alex Fernie, and both of you berated us. And yeah. I guess that's the way to get on this show. If you see Kevin or I in the street, just uh, yell at us and we will and give in I immediately. I pray that you do yeah. see you in the street. <laughs> yeah, fine. But also we ranked Alex Fernie ahead of you just in sort of a ranking method as well. Okay. Yeah, please I, take I it no personally idea. is what we're saying. Okay, well, I, there was a specific issue I suggested we do, which is this one. <laughs> that's right. Okay. Oh, and we do right. have a reason for doing that, and that's that Scott has uh, written some Marvel comics. Uh, I think you've almost, you always have Spider-Man in your stories so far, right? I, I've written three comics for, look, I mean, you didn't give me an introduction, but I'll just, I'll let people <laughs> I mean, know. I'm, I'll let people know who I am. I, yeah, that's, I am this a, guy knows I'm, what he's doing. I'm a podcaster as well. What? I podcast Comedy Bang Bang. Oh, I had no idea. I, I had a television show, Comedy Bang Bang. That's and right. I, uh, a writer, comedian, uh, various projects out there. But anyway, I, I have written three comic books in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and all three of them have had Spider-Man or at least Peter Parker uh, in them. Right. So Scott is uh, not only a huge Spider-Man nerd and a comics fan, he's uh, actually got some professional uh, credentials of writing Spider-Man, including yes. a comic that was very inspired by Amazing Spider-Man 14, which we're going over. So it's extra cool that we have you for this episode. Thank you very much. So happy to be here. These are my favorite uh, comics of all time. Ooh, the yeah. uh, early... Lee and Ditko issues, and you are my favorite creators of this show. You're the Lee and Ditko of this show. Yeah. A lot of people like the... A lot of people have come from the future just to tell me that the future yeah, hosts right. of this show really took it farther and that we weren't right. progressive enough. But I still stand by our work on this. Like podcast. who is going to be the John Romita yeah. senior? Yeah. <laughs> I got oh, I got the people who come from the future are such snigglers for detail. I got a guy saying he's the Roger Stern of this podcast. Oh, and I'm I like, that just takes a long time to even explain. Second best Spider-Man writer of all time. I think opinion. so. Yes. Mm-hmm. We, we, uh, that's, uh, that's a very easy argument to make. Mm-hmm. Love Roger Stern. All right. My three favorites or Lee, Stern, and Slot. Slot. Yeah, I think I was just saying this recently that I think Dan Slot, who's been on forever now, uh, there's no way you couldn't at least put him in conversation with one of the best writers on the book. I mean, so many great stuff. People, people, uh, and we're getting really nerdy now, but I think people uh, who don't like him are upset about either a the one more day uh, re- revision that happens yeah. uh, that that right before him, but also I think uh, people don't like his politics online. I think, and it gives them uh, an excuse to yeah to not like his writing but um he's, definitely happens. he's he's also his run has had a lot of events but that just says marvel in general yes uh, like a lot like, of like crossover things that that type of it's stuff like it, it feels like he uh is always building towards some big spider verse type event mm, in mm. fact one was called spider verse right uh 
And like they're fun and cool, but I think he just even the between issues are what he really. Oh, shines. yeah. He really excels at just the uh, bringing fun back to Spider-Man, I think. And, and he's one of the few Marvel current writers who like has like subplots and supporting cast and stuff that just slowly builds up over years. Going over hundreds of issues. He had a, an issue recently with uh, Loki yeah. tying up a, a loose end from like 100 issues ago or something. Oh, man, yeah. that's high praise. So a guy for coming in this late in the Spider-Man continuity to make that much of an impact. That's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yes. Hard to do. Love it. I'll have to check him out. I haven't read any comics since 1990, so I'm a little behind. Um, I heard this Alan Moore guy's great. I'm going to catch up pretty soon. <laughs> Alan Moore guy from the 80s. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I like his stuff in the fan 80s. of his 90s work. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, I'll have to I'll have to catch up. But um, Kevin, so we're, we're, we've gone segment crazy and we were going to pair back at least for this episode. But I, that means I've lost track of what we're doing next. Do you know? Uh, well, normally what we do now is we talk about the cover. I think we could still just do Let's that. Let's do that. Yeah. So amazing. This is a segment I call Cover Talk. Cover Talk. Great Ooh. title. Oh, I Did love you it. say Car Talk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Car Talk. Here's what we talk about the car. Wait, wait, don't we... tell me. What's the uh, segment? Um, okay, so cover. Do we like this cover or not? I'm going to This is Amazing say... Spider-Man number 14. Maz- yeah. Thank you, Scott. You're doing all the work on this podcast, and I appreciate it. We are unprofessional. Yeah, idiots. I love this cover. Uh, there's a lot this going on. July of what uh, uh, year? 64, Six, Kevin. 64. That's right. Okay. Um, hard, hard Day's Night is coming out in America this month. Um, just to right, and more importantly, fans. the Green Goblin is debuted. Yeah, this sort is of a, a bigger deal than Hard the Day's. The Beatles Night. of Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, the Beatles of Spider-Man villains. The Ringo of Spider-Man. He's. Uh, I okay. I think this is a good cover. We've this is had a good cover. First of all, you got. The, you still have the web. Webs uh, around the title of Amazing Spider-Man. Now, I don't know whether that's exclusive to this issue or whether it's because it, it fits in with the design with of the this cave. Issue. Uh, but but it, are those webs in the previous? Uh, I don't issues know. Cover? I don't know. I, I love having uh, the webs right are, there by the table. Pro webs. They are. Yeah, we're pro I don't know webs. if they're in everyone, but they definitely are in some of them. Well, this is just some of the covers recently look like Ditko really had to throw it together, and there'll be like no background. But this is this is a beautiful looking you have, setup here. Uh, I believe there are these are stalagmites instead of stalactites. Stalag- they're stalactites. Okay, this I think so, right? What, what? How do you remember it again? Uh, I remember stalag- the stalagmites have a G in it, and then that's ground they come from the ground. Oh, I see. Now I I had uh, stalactites. Bringing it back to Spider Man, I had. <laughs> learned the difference in a Spider-Man comic from the 70s in Electric Company magazine. I don't, <laughs> that's where my love for Spider-Man uh, first started. And I I remember it there. It was like it's a stalactite. Yeah. Um, and then a stalagmite fall on you. Is that what what the trick was? I, I, remember. I remember G for ground and C for ceiling. It's oh, like okay. and I get yeah, I get that I from an that. Adam comic. Uh, the yeah, that's where I get Adam from too. You do really? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's from the origin of the Adam. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. wandering through a cave when he gets his powers, which I've, I don't even remember how that happens, but I remember his lesson on caves. <laughs> Interesting. So these are stalactites then. I think, yes, that Spidey's near. And Spider-Man, by the way, it's approved by the Comics Code. Thank God. Oh, we're not going to be we're, corrupted we're <laughs> uh, by any of the content here. So, oh, this issue is so great. It's the debut of the Green Goblin. They threw the Hulk in for almost no reason, which I love. The Hulk, I guess, was popular because they have to say on the splash page, stick around uh, the Hulk, you know, is going to be worth the wait. Like maybe the Hulk is more popular than Spider-Man. A lot of a lot of these Stan Lee comics, he apologizes for how long until the action like kicks <laughs> right. in. He'll be like, "Try to wait out these three pages right. of plot development before the fight begins. You won't you won't be sorry." 
he's like really conscious of how what our our low patience level is. But yeah, the design. I mean, and the design is great. You have Spider Man hanging upside down, which mm. you're if you're a kid and you know you've you've missed the previous thirteen episodes, you're probably like, what does this guy do? How can he do this? Yeah, yeah. How is this possible? And then you have this goblin dude whose hand is on fire. Yes, uh, and he's. Uh, flying around uh, on a broomstick, and then you, and then he includes the enforcers really far away. Um, yeah, lots of differences, and uh, some things are close, some things are far away. Yeah, we got yeah. perspective there. The and enforcers then, are, as I've said in the when we when we went over them in their previous episode, my absolute favorite terrible villain idea of all time. <laughs> the most ridiculous guys, and I love seeing them. They're in, they they're gangsters basically, like super gangsters. They're, they're like really specifically skilled gangsters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you also have the first time. I believe that Ditko has drawn the Hulk. Is that correct? No, because he did. Did he do it before? He did one of the original six. He did issue six. Oh, he did issue six. He did okay, the so Metal Master. I think. His, yeah. His style of the Hulk. He, it's, he, it's, he looks like a like a movie actor. To me. Yeah, yeah. Like the when they have the extra eye shadow and stuff. Yeah. And, he he. To me, he looks like a famous movie actor who's green. I like. It's not. It's not like, like Lurch Kirby's, or like. Yeah, it's not like Jack Kirby's idealization of human beings, you know, with, yeah. a, you know, it, with like, a square. Jo- yeah, Jack Kirby look- makes everybody look like a, a weird, like, abstraction of the Kennedys or something yeah. like that. This, he looks like he's like Sal LaMaca or something, <laughs> but green. Yeah, this, the, his Hulk is creepier and more human. Yes. Where, uh, like, Kirby's is more of a monster. Yeah. And sort of cool. <laughs> and then the caption says, does the Green Goblin look cute to you? <laughs> Does he make you want to smile? <laughs> well, forget it. <laughs> like, what if, what if he looks crazy? I would not think yeah. he's cute at all. Well, that's the thing. What if you were one of the rare one in a hundred people who's like, oh, what a cutie. And then, yeah, and then the caption just Stan shoots Lee you just down. Being like, fuck just you, kid. Scold you, yeah. Uh, Stan does a lot of uh, yelling at you for what he thinks you're thinking about. And he's uh, wrong at almost every time, but I, I love him anyway. <laughs> Stan saw this cover. He's like, I better warn people that this guy's not as cute as he looks. <laughs> and everyone's like, Stan. <laughs> no one thought he was cute. Please. Um, Goblin is just an insane looking villain. Like, I feel like one of Steve Ditko's, I guess, I think it's a strength, but uh, he, I don't think he could draw a cliche looking villain to save his life. Like, he very rarely, I guess he'll do this sometimes, but he rarely has your sort of like mustachioed, evil, hand wringing guy. It's always like a short, stocky dude with metal arms, an 80 year old man in a turtleneck with wings. Well, I think what's interesting about the Green Goblin on this cover, this is the first time we're ever seeing him. This is his debut. Yeah. And he looks so cool on the cover. Yeah. I, I don't think they planned for the Green Goblin to be the hit to be one of the best Spider-Man villains of all time because this the plot of this issue is ridiculous. Right. Um, and you would never like this. You're not setting him up to be like canon. You're like, this is a throwaway. No, you, you would never introduce uh, one of your most important villains in in a plot like this. But he looks so cool. That yeah. It's just like undeniable. I think like whenever the. Marvel artists like Kirby or Ditko, they would like with the Silver Surfer was initially just like a throwaway character in the background of some issue, I think. And then Stan asked Jack to like emphasize him more in the next issue or something. Mm-hmm. It's like just they they strike on these cool looks first and then build the character later. Yeah, I feel like that's that's what Venom yeah. was in a way because it's like well we've got this black costume we did for no it looked so fucking cool yeah but the the origin of it is so lame yeah you know we, that we have that, to go yeah. back and shore up the story for yeah him. exactly um, yeah that's the biggest uh, uh, problem with Venom is like if you're telling that origin in a uh, 
uh, a movie or a, an isolated story, it's so complicated and convoluted to get to like, what's a pretty cool character when you yeah. eventually get there? Well, you know, when they made Spider-Man three, um, I know that, <laughs> Oh, Brian Michael Bendis, who's another one of the best. I, I don't know that you can count him as, I mean, he, he didn't write amazing Spider-Man, so you can't say he's one of the best amazing Spider-Man writers, but yeah. you would put him in some of the, the best Spider-Man writers generally. Yeah. But yeah, he, definitely. Most people, he's not, uh, I probably wouldn't be my top three, but a lot of people love him and it's undeniable. He's written a ton of no, his Peter ult- Parker. His ultimate Spider-Man is, is pretty incredible. And he did, he did the, uh, a revamped origin for Venom that was actually really interesting before Spider-Man three came out, which is basically that, um, Venom, the Venom suit was, was a suit, uh, created by scientists to cure cancer. It was like meant to be a, like a, like a bio suit that wraps around uh, a human being and mm. sucks disease out of them. And it was a really, you know, it's, it's like way more plausible than the actual yeah. Venom origin, which is, you know, uh, Spider-Man was looking for to, to fix holes in his costume on an <laughs> alien world. And someone told him which device was the costume maker, but he wasn't listening properly. <laughs> so instead he went to another, yeah. he, he went to another machine and just pulled a lever. He was like, ah, oh, this is probably it. Pulled a lever and this big black goo comes out <laughs> and machine, covers his yeah. body. And he's like, oh yeah, sure. That was probably the costume maker. This Great. machine's called convenient plot device. I'll just pull this lever. Yeah. Um, but Instead of the costume repair, he went to the parasite releaser. <laughs> right, exactly. Like why were they keeping that in there anyway? Yeah. But then, but then, you know, if you watch Spider-Man three, the venom origin is so lame. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man and Mary Jane are, are in a web hammock in the middle of the park in the first scene. And the alien meteorite carrying this symbiote crashes yeah. to earth and then attaches itself to his bicycle. Yeah. I think like you want your meteorite to exposition ratio to be pretty low for your story to be plausible. Like if you need a meteorite to introduce your thing, right? it's a little weak. All right, Kevin. So what do we think of this issue? It's ridiculous, but I also love it. It's so funny and uh, yeah. audacious. I, I really, I, I, I think it's just a good time. The plot is dumb, but uh, it is the first Green Goblin and he's such a silly character at this point. Uh, and there's just a lot of fun. And like the fight where he's fighting like Green Goblin, the Hulk and the Enforcers is a blast. <laughs> it's convoluted how they get there yeah uh, it seems like there's a simpler story that gets you to this cave but th- there's something about old comics where like you know there's a fun first mentality which is like okay we just want to throw these guys all in a room we're gonna get there we don't care how we get there we're just gonna we're yeah. just gonna force it to happen they they obviously were were you know i i've i've given this issue a lot of thought because like you say uh, the last comic book i wrote which is spider-man deadpool 6 what i based the plot on this and the the reason I did it is because when I was coming up with uh, ideas for this fill-in issue that I was supposed to do of Spider-Man Deadpool, um, the the Deadpool movie had just come out, and um, I said, "Oh, that that might be interesting to watch Deadpool go to Hollywood as they make a movie about him." And yes. then I immediately flashed into, "Oh, that reminds me of that early issue yeah. of Spider-Man where Spider-Man goes to Hollywood to make a movie." And then I realized, "Wait a minute, that's the that's the introduction of the green goblin yeah yeah this silly stupid story which which stan lee basically wrote a plot of just because he wanted to get them out to yeah he just wanted to cram them together he just wanted to cram them together is is the canonical yeah introduction
description of this incredible character. You'd be so. like, oh, you like Breaking. It'd be like if Walter White from Breaking Bad came from like the musical episode of Buffy or something. Yeah, like that. It's like, oh like, yeah, that, that introduced. He, he really the, sticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's it's such a it's such a funny issue to me um, with a ridiculous plot, but but like you say, as I was reading it last night again, the fight is the fight's really great. well done. It's great. They really they they. Uh, Whenever they get to the action stuff, they really do. It's like visually inventive. I mean, it's a blast. I, I love I love these issues. Um, and I mean, the goblin works. There's, there's like a mystery with who he is, his look. He's sort of complicated, yep. but that's I think the the biggest thing. And it's 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 interesting for writers of this type of fiction. Um, if you add a mystery to anything, it gets people intrigued. And yep. I remember reading this as a kid, and and you know, oh, you won't tell me who he is. You know, well, now most, I want to know. Yeah, yeah. now I want to know Mo- most. Every comic book I think I had read up to this point, the villain comes in, yep. explains who he is. <laughs> right, gives all the background. And and you know who they are. I, I don't recall a lot of mystery villains. This is this was my first experience with one. Yep. The last one we had, I think, was the big man, which is also the Enforcers, and they reveal who he is at the very end of the issue, and he goes to jail forever. Oh, Mr. Was that Foswell? That's right. Yes, Foswell. Foswell. I, I don't think he goes to jail forever. He comes back. Oh, he's back soon. Yeah, he's uh, back. The prison <laughs> system in uh, New York City is like uh, yeah, it's pretty liberal. Door. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It did. They did. I think the enforcers are also out in good behavior. Oh yeah, because Mar- yeah, he, he, the Goblin mentions that they were in for a stretch. I think Marvel Comics created the Republican Party because it infused in a lot of kids the idea that prisons are too easy at letting well, go yeah. supervillains. I mean, I think Batman is such an alt right <laughs> Republican. Oh yeah, it's a fascist ideal. fantasy. Yeah, it's like it's you like need a vigilante because the government. Poor people corrupt. are trying to take away our riches. Yeah, <laughs> let me go beat them up. Um. Oh, we got the enforcers in this issue, Kevin, which means I'm happy because they are my favorite sure. insane villains. The first panel we see them, they're each conveniently demonstrating their ability for this no is, reason. This is my favorite artistic panel. I know that that's a segment <laughs> oh, yeah, later, yeah. but I, I did want to talk about this because it's so <laughs> funny to me that, you know, when I when I started writing comics, the, the modern comic, uh, if you write too many panels into a page, your editor will be sort of like, oh, that's going to be difficult for an artist to convey this and i always look back at these comics like there's six panels on this page we introduce one character yeah totally introduce one character but this enforcers panel which is panel three in a six panel grid so much information is packed into this panel yeah because you have (laughs) because you have montana's doing his tricks like everything you need to know about these guys is right here montana (laughs) is he throws a rope yep fancy dan can jump really high and is very athletic yeah (laughs) but the best is that you got ox there tearing a phone book in half yeah (laughs) no reason no reason like just to demonstrate well his power is he's strong yeah tear a phone book in half they're in a hotel room like this is how they're just bored in a hotel room you know and i one would assume that's the first and only phone book in that room (laughs) yeah they uh that should be a plot device they should have to look up a phone number and they're out of they're out of luck because ox tore it up (laughs) right yeah and also it's sort of his anti-book stance which i feel like will come into play yeah (laughs) i I am assuming it's a phone book and not you know a tale of two cities or something he just hates literature (laughs) Um, we finished reading it we have uh also in this story uh we get to see that goblin's plan is to it's goblin's idea to like yeah to get a real movie in production and that will give them the right setting to to i guess murder spider-man or okay, so or which, just defeat him which is not is another one of those plots that makes no sense it doesn't make well at this point though it's it's okay okay i think it gets C- a little compared to what happens well, later com- compared to what happens <laughs> later 
here. It's like if if you just heard that, you'd kind of go, okay, yeah, yeah. sort okay. You're also I'll go you're also it. willing to give any story you kind of one free thing to get the story yes. going. It's like, okay, so your thing is make a movie. All right, I'm gonna give you all of my disbelief suspended for that. You've used up right. now. Don't as do don't do anything else crazy. With yeah. a really good example. I also like on page one that um the enforcers are are waiting for <laughs> The Green Goblin. A guy they don't know. A guy they don't know, but they're waiting for him. But then the minute he comes in, he's like, okay, I'm here, and now I'm ready to give you orders. And they're like, fuck you, Goblin. <laughs> we, we don't take orders from anyone. What are you sitting around waiting for him for yeah. then? And, then, and uh, their only other appearance in the Marvel Universe, they were taking orders from somebody. Yes, <laughs> that's what you do. You're you're the order takers. You're henchmen, yeah. And then all he has to do is shoot <laughs> sparks out of his finger, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, whoa. take it easy. Sparks shooting out of finger start talking goblin. Yeah. i get a hunch you'll be worth listening to <laughs> i mean i love the goblin but it is not an intimidating moment when he just shoots a couple sparks in their face whoa whoa all right you got on. our attention this is the guy yeah. who kills peter parker's love yes in 10 years he's going to be this incredibly vicious commit like the most brutal act that's that, that, that's that, that happened so happened far him, but he's at this point he's a guy who shoots sparks out <laughs> of his <laughs> fingers <laughs> um also he does not make any monetary promises to the enforcers he just says um hey i promise you'll get your revenge on spider-man they're like you got a deal <laughs> yeah well, what deal what yeah. deal are we <laughs> like, and then i guess the enforcers board a 747 and head out to hollywood <laughs> okay so this is where the plan starts to semi fall apart <laughs> is like I know Stan Lee wants to get everyone out to Hollywood because it's funny yep. and exotic. He's ready to, he's also ready to make fun of the movie industry. But but yeah, this couldn't have been done in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't make movies in New York City, uh or even With just like a the New York Film Commission didn't get tax exemption <laughs> to to make something out there. Well, I think Scott, he had this very subtle nuanced character he wanted to introduce, and it's this movie producer. Ah, uh, yes. Whose uh, name I, is BJ. It's just BJ. Just BJ, I think. Okay, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think he obviously put a lot of time and thought into the backstory of this character. This is not a first thought surface movie producer. Uh, he claims that he's won an Oscar for a movie called The Nameless Thing from the Black Lagoon in the Murky Swamp. Yes, an Oscar for that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he, well, you must like this guy because he name drops the Beatles a little bit later on this page. Yeah. That's, he won me over with that. Anybody who mentions the Beatles, I assume that you are the protagonist of the story. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so the, the nameless thing from the Black Lagoon in the Murky Swamp, I think, is the last picture horror picture to win an Oscar uh, before uh, Silence of the Lambs. In that's the right. 90s, yeah. I think. And get out. I think. <laughs> right. Get out soon. Um so yeah, he's so Goblin this, Goblin comes in and just immediately convinces him to make a movie just by pitching the idea of Spider-Man being in it. Yeah. Well, at first he's like, I'm I'm your next star. Yeah. And me. BJ's like, get out of here. Right. <laughs> Which is a hard lesson for anyone in Hollywood to learn. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. Just because you can fly into the office of a producer doesn't mean you can be a star. I wonder if BJ had said, You're right, you're gonna star in the next picture, if the goblin wouldn't have just given up everything and yeah. been like, Ooh, oh, okay. Showbiz? <laughs> sure. Forget okay. Spider-Man. <laughs> and the rest of the story is the enforcer is trying to hold him up to his verbal contract. Hey, come like on, a, you a, said that we would get revenge on Spider-Man. It gets very legal. There's just like lawyers get involved. Um, but no, so the Green Goblin says, yeah, I can get Spider-Man in this film. And uh, they, have a, they have a deal. We'll get the real Spider-Man to play the part. I mean, uh, if I'm a movie producer and somebody promises me Spider-Man, I'm listening. I'll be like, well, if you can get him in my office, I, I'm curious to hear it. But then he also promises the enforcers, which might be just enough to convince you not to do it. Yeah, I, mean, I do. 
yeah. The idea like, that the enforcers are a household name that you can just like go into a movie studio and drop the enforcer's name and people know it. Yeah. His next line of dialogue should be like, and who are the enforcers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and what's going on with your face? Is Am I looking at makeup or is that a mask or what's happening? It's hard to tell. Yeah. And what are you riding? Some sort of vacuum cleaner? I will say it was on, on the previous page. It is such great storytelling to have the goblin mask be, be in the forefront. And that's the first thing you see in panel one. Yeah. To let you know that the goblin is a, a human being. A person. This is a mask. Yeah. Um, it's That's a mystery. Um, it's really good storytelling. Um, so the Hollywood deal is put into motion. Now we get to Peter and his uh, high school friends. And the high school friends in the in recent issues have been like, it's been changing. The, initi- the initial right. issues, they're just straight up bullies. Every single thing they say is cruel. But now Liz Allen likes Peter Parker. The dynamics have changed. So this yeah, was- she's starting to like him. For the last couple of issues, she's been sort of into Peter. And the other kids are starting to shift too, as we can see. Liz kind of talks them into it. Only Flash hates Peter. This was so exciting to me as a kid. Yes. Because I'll, I'll tell you how I got into these comics was okay. um, sometime when in elementary school, I got um, these things called pocket digests. Yes, we had these. You had these. Okay. With like the six issues per. They were seven issues per okay. uh, per thing. So I had the first one, which had Amazing Fantasy 15 and then, and then the first six. six issues. Yeah. Uh, and I read that over and over and over and over. And then um, the next one had issues 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13. Right. Um, and I read that over and over and over and over. And but but so when I've spent so much time with the first seven issues and Flash being and, a bully and, and getting the upper hand and everyone yeah. hates him to watch change like that. Yes. Is so exciting so because comics just at this point had stayed the same. If you had Clark Kent being a milk toast, he stays. That he way. always stays that way. And people always make fun of him. Yeah. So to have to have this plot twist of suddenly Liz Allen is into it. Him yes, is, is so exciting as a kid of like, wow, anything can happen in this <laughs> comic book. I, I love it. And she likes him because he risked his life to save Betty Brandt, right? He dressed up as Spider-Man, but he had a fever. Mm-hmm. That's where she started to realize he wasn't he wasn't just this uh, a coward. Uh, yeah. yeah. As you guys talked about on a previous episode, the yeah. worst thing you can call yeah. someone in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> yeah, everybody's ready to call you a coward. But uh, in terms of ridiculous plot turns, uh, the, the high school emotional subplots make way more sense than anything else. Like if a guy that I thought was a nerd dressed up and risked his life for his girlfriend, I definitely would be impressed. I'd be like, I had this guy all wrong. So to have that turn her to liking Peter, I totally buy it. I love it. In fact, yeah, no, it's it's incredible. Um, how big is this guy's transistor radio? As always, um, <laughs> the, uh, Peter's classmates, they're always listening for crime news when they're yeah. around Peter. Well, this this was I mean, there are certain if you read my issue of Spider-Man Deadpool, there are certain things, certain plot beats that yeah. I lift. And the guy with the radio. Oh, is, oh yeah. Yeah. The boombox. Yes. I, I put that into the plot. <laughs> I was and and I was like, I, I I did this Marvel style. I did. I did this issue. Uh, uh, classic Marvel style, which which is um, you wrote an outline or something. I wrote an outline instead of panel by panel because uh, it was a really last minute thing. I was filming the, the television show and going on tour, so all I had really time to do was I wrote like a ten page plot, and so uh, and I looked up the plot today, and I just wrote in there a guy with a radio. <laughs> 
And then the artist, Riley Brown, who's who was really great and yeah. added so much to it, made him like a guy from the 80s <laughs> with a, yeah. a giant boombox, which then, you know, led me to writing jokes about how he was an anachronistic yeah. character, which was really fun. Go fight the bad guy and leave anachronistic stereotypes like me alone, says this guy. <laughs> right. Um, you, had the, you had the same plot that the way to lure the hero out was just to float around the city. Float around the city, which is yeah. ridiculous. I love it. I highly recommend but it works. anybody listening it works. to read Amazing Spider-Man 14 and then read Spider-Man Deadpool 6. Yeah, uh, I read uh, I read Spider-Man Deadpool 6 first before I reread 14. So when I saw that Deadpool was just floating above the city, hoping to just attract Spider-Man's attention that way, I didn't realize that it was a that lift it was a callback to that. from well, Goblin just saying like, I knew if I just aimlessly <laughs> flew right. above the city. Well, this is the, this is the <laughs> trouble with writing homages sometimes is like, I'm doing it intentionally yeah. because I think it's so funny in the original. Yeah. But is then it, if, if for anyone reading it, I'm sure they're reading and going, what lazy what? story? <laughs> like on my part. Yeah. You're homaging like a beat of a story that is not that memorable. <laughs> yes, exactly. Also, um, in both the Deadpool and in the original Spidey issue, it just looks cool. Goblins floating around the city. Spidey gets to slingshot himself up. Well, that's also one it thing just looks great. about the original Marvel method with all these early comics is Stan Lee I don't know how much detail he went into. I would love to see these original plots. I don't know how much detail he went into. Um, he yeah. may have just said the goblin lures Spider-Man to right. the city and that that's the only information you have because one of the interesting ways in writing a comic like this is the artist has their own interpretation of what looks cool yeah. and they'll always write what looks cool yeah. and then you have to sort of clean it up in your dialogue. Yes. Um, and so, you know, some of these just weird plots twists maybe Stan Lee just going oh man how, how do I, make, I how do I make sense of these panels which in mine is interesting because um, in the section where they're swinging around the, above the city Riley thought it was really funny to have Deadpool swinging on a web and then crashing into a building which was yeah. not part of the plot or anything yeah. and this is a big exposit exposition dump yeah and I had to justify with Why, a yeah. joke of like okay how am I gonna make this f make sense and make funny uh, make it funny so I put in a, a line of dialogue about Deadpool wanting people to take him seriously right yeah. before he hits the wall. So yeah, so the crash comes first because it's visually cool. Then you have to make it the punchline to a joke that you had not yet that I, created. I had not yeah. thought of. Yeah. So it's yeah. so so when I when I see this plot and I see like the Green Goblin uh, in Spider Man fourteen flying around up there, I can only assume that it was Steve Ditko saying like the Goblin. He flies around. Of course, they're going to meet up in the sky. Yeah. Without ever thinking about how do we justify it. And I'll help you, Stan. I'll show. Spider-Man slingshotting himself up into the air. There, I solved your problem. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so the, yeah. the movie plan works, right? Like Spidey... Yeah, Goblin says there's a movie Spider-Man bites. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, first of all, the Goblin says, don't take my word for it. Go talk to the producer. He flew into New York. Yep. Um, he's at the plaza. Doesn't tell him so where. Yeah. At, th at this point, the Goblin is little more than one of those guys who like spins a sign on the street. Well, he's an agent at this point yeah. as well. Like he's like he's the world's most proactive agent. Yeah. He, he built a jetpack to go into the sky and get his talent. But he doesn't say what room because in the next panel, Spider-Man is saying, I've searched half the hotel already and still. Oh, oh, here he is. He's been peeping into hotel rooms. <laughs> yeah, like a weirdo. So um, uh, the, the producer's there, makes his offer. Spidey is surprisingly ready with his thoughts about a Hollywood 
would offer. Oh, he is in from the jump. <laughs> I mean, he's just like, he already has his conditions down. He's got his rider ready to go. No publicity, yeah. no sightseers on set, no phony romance build up with starlets. Now, and one panel later, he's signing a contract. <laughs> I get the the interviews. Nope. I get the Yeah, because he's got to protect his secret identity. But the no phony romance buildups with starlets is where he crosses over into creative notes. <laughs> you know, where he's like, well, here's what I don't like about movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's signing a contract the next panel. Anytime Spider-Man's doing anything mundane, it looks very funny to me, like sitting at a desk and signing a contract. Yeah, or standing in or a room. just walking down the street. Like as soon as he does anything that's not punching and swinging, he looks uh, very funny to me. Yeah, but and Ditko leans into that. There's a panel uh, coming up in a couple of pages where he's just about ready. Spider-Man is just about ready to uh, film and oh, he's standing yeah. there. And Steve, <laughs> most artists, Jack Kirby would, would show him like crouched and ready yeah, to heroic pose. And Spider-Man is standing there with one hand on his hip, <laughs> sort of like popping out his hip in a way and just like kind of casually leaning around. That's so funny to me. Um, there's so much funny in this story. Uh, Jameson, uh, J. Jonah Jameson agrees coincidentally to send Peter to Hollywood to take photos of Spider-Man. And that seems like a waste of his money. And Spider-Man was hoping that he would do that. Yes. (laughs) He's like when Jameson comes in and goes, Parker, there you are. Yeah. I just heard on the newswire that (laughs) Spider-Man signed a contract. I'm going to send you out there. And and Peter's like, oh, I hope that would happen because that then I can pay to go out there. There's like a ton of coincidences in these first five pages to really get everything going. Yeah. The, the Hollywood's not going to fly out Spider-Man. <laughs> they're not going yeah, exactly. to they're not give him a travel stipend. Well, I mean, you know, and, and with security being as lax as it was back then, I wonder if they could have just, you know, given him a stipend for it or something. Or yeah. actually like normally they would buy the ticket for you and you'd have yeah. to give them your legal name and all that. We, we skip, we skip those troubles for this issue. I mean, Spider-Man should have mentioned that in one of his demands. You fly me out to Hollywood. Yeah, but he did. He forgot about that. He He's forgot. not as good. That's why you need someone to negotiate. <laughs> You gotta have an terms. agent. You gotta have an agent. Um, how about Aunt May's little tear when she's crying that P- Peter Parker's growing up? I kind of I love that little touch when yeah, he tells Aunt May that he's going out tear. to L.A. and she's like she's knitting. I mean, she is always the most stereotypically fragile old person up until the Parkers aren't quitters speech. All she's doing in, in Spider-Man is like knitting and f- and fretting over how frail Peter is. Yeah. And almost dying. She does that sometimes. Yeah, she's not death's door at all times. Yeah. And she does I that mean, here. It, it's they really wrote her into a corner in a way that a lot of subsequent writers have been able to thankfully get her out where she's just kind of a normal person. And, and in the new Spider-Man movies is, you know, like a hot young mom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next, next movie. She's younger than Peter. Yeah. They're going to keep going in that direction. Uh, okay. So now we get to Spidey on the movie set. This is some of the best stuff. Uh, there's actually a movie happening. I mean, Goblin is really should not be a supervillain. He should be a movie producer. That's the problem. He is. He's the, most he's gone from zero to getting a oscar winning producer to make a film in four pages i mean and a day i mean it can't have been that long he's got spider-man on board just make the movie they would have made so much more money (laughs) by making the movie than with all of their crimes combined they should leave the world of crime behind and just make millions of dollars yes i mean yeah because eventually the goblin reveals his plan was to make money to start a crime syndicate yeah like killing spider-man doesn't help him make that money no by the way this one panel in the middle of this page is the only hollywood action that we get this is the only panel that's in hollywood i don't know if you oh if you notice that because they go on location after that because or? the very
very next panel, they say, after a difficult journey, the camera crew and the stars reach a deserted area in New Mexico where the movie is to be filmed. Oh, so that's, oh, that's the only that. one in Los Angeles. Yeah, and it needs to be in New Mexico because that's where the, the Hulk, Hulk hangs oh, out. Oh, yes. But also, what's so difficult about this journey? Like, <laughs> yeah. why, why are we skipping past it? I'm, I assume that Ox was ripping up all the scripts, point. you know, and like uh, yeah. Mon- Montana kept roping everything and like yanking stuff off counters. Other, this is so complicated to get all your pawns in one place yeah. for the story to start. Fly out to New Mexico first. My absolute favorite panel of the whole issue is right here. It's when Goblin walks up to Spidey with a script in his hand and says, say, Spider-Man, <laughs> suppose we go off and rehearse that fight scene while they're setting up for the cameras. <laughs> like like for a villain to peacefully walk up and just yeah. say, hey, bud. And then wanna... Ox is like, yeah, we want to make sure no one gets hurt when we perform for the cameras. And then Spider-Man, who's sitting there reading his script, which is another funny <laughs> yeah. thing. He's, he's memorizing like, his lines. Yeah, he's like, yeah, fine by me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which That's, is a lot, how, a lot like how these uh, conversations usually occur. Uh, Scott, you do, I think, a good job in your Deadpool comic of calling attention to that, of like how incredibly suspicious it all seems when the salmon stuntman, a guy on a glider. Mm-hmm. By the uh, way, the salmon stuntman I had hoped would take off and become <laughs> Spider-Man's main villain the same way that the Green Goblin did. And uh, it did not. It ha- hasn't happened yet. You know, somebody <laughs> might. I mean, don't, don't count it out. Yeah. But he keeps- That's Dan Slott's fault for not incorporating him into yeah, his really. story. Come on, Dan Slott. I'm talking you up. You're so good. Throw, yeah. throw the salmon stuntman into one of your final issues. <laughs> There's something about, I can't find it now, but like the salmon stuntman keeps saying like, in a, in a not suspicious at all offer, I want you to come yeah, be he, on this movie with me. You know? He keeps saying that he, he would have to tell Spider-Man if he were a villain because it, it's against the law to say you're that's right not a villain when you are a villain. Yeah, I'm not a super villain. You know how you can tell? It's against the law to lie about that. Deadpool says, wow, I didn't know that. Um, by the way, Riley Brown, the artist, uh, wrote uh, drew him into a mocap suit, which I thought was really funny. Oh, really? That like was he's the wearing these like little white uh, motion mo-cap, capture motion things. capture yeah. balls, which is um, yeah. Uh, but but that it's it. just such a ridiculous plot. Like uh, and and it gets even worse on this next page of of Spider Man fourteen, where finally you see the plot coming to a head, and you see exactly what the plan was. Yeah, which was. Uh, they they start doing this stunt scene. Yep. Uh, and then within seconds, Spider-Man figures it out and says, oh no, my spider sense is tingling. You really are the enforcers. And Green Goblin says, well, it's too late because you're surrounded now. <laughs> That's all we needed. Yeah. So all they, of this work was just to get you- from New York <laughs> to Hollywood to, to New, New Mexico. Mexico just to surround you? <laughs> well, that's what the ox punched him once and Spider-Man still wasn't convinced that they were evil. Yeah. Yeah. Ox punches him for real. His first reaction is like, hey, stop that. <laughs> yeah. It's so ridiculous. Um, they could have surrounded him in New York City. Well, you know, Scott, I'm going to I'm going to play devil's advocate here because they, they do. They almost finish him off. They do pretty good. They are immediately they get the upper hand. Well, this this fight actually is very exciting. They, they make a good case for why the Green Goblin and the Enforcers should work together. This should work together because Spider-Man can get away from all like, of them individually. Yeah. But the combination, I mean, just the action choreography is so interesting. I mean, you got Fancy Dan swiping <laughs> at him while a, while a lasso <laughs> is, is about to get him. And then Ox comes. I mean, it's really exciting stuff. Yeah, it looks good. If you don't, if you don't think it's about, also good. It's good supervillain fighting. They're not going one at a time. They're coming at him two at a time. Yeah. Yeah. They're avoiding they're avoiding supervillain mistake number one. Yeah. Yeah. Still only two, maybe three at a time. Um, also, the word haymaker is used, which is one of my favorite Stan Lee words. The mm-hmm. bottom of page eight. 
Is, Ox, did Stan Lee come up with? Oh, it I don't know, no. but it's just like when he, he yeah. uses it a lot. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, well, you, while you turn away to flip Dan over your head, I can follow up with a haymaker. Well, that's that's him. Like, there, there's really no nothing else to call it but a punch. And, yeah, you, you know need I mean? some synonyms. There. You just get tired of calling it a punch. Over my favorite Stan Lee words are haymaker, panty waste, uh, milk sop, milk sop. Yeah. Uh, what is are, a panty waste, by the way? Uh, it's Peter Parker. I mean, I guess someone who dares to wear panties where you're supposed to, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's I, I can't tell if that's a homophobic. I'm sure insult or not. I'm going to guess that it, it whatever the least progressive interpretation, that's probably the one that it was meant to be. Right. OK. Um, OK, so they they do a pretty good job of uh, fighting him here. Oh, this is a fun panel on page 10 when they Montana finally gets ropes tightened around him and Spidey just uh, flexes his chest and breaks all the ropes. Well, that's, that's using his power of chest expansion. Yeah, this here's here's the problem with this is <laughs> I get it. Steve Ditko basically said, oh, no, he can get out of a ropes by just, you know, yeah. like flexing. And then Stan Lee is there saying like, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it does make sense, Stan. You don't have to give Spider-Man a brand new power we haven't yeah. heard about before called chest expansion. Yeah, <laughs> like, you could this this the, the speech balloon that Stan wrote was one one thing he didn't count on was my power of chest expansion. He's bursting open the ropes, but he could just say, Montana forgot that I am strong. I am strong. <laughs> yes, I am super strength. Yeah. Yeah. Strength. I can lift cars almost. Like, this yeah, is all I got to do is to burst out a rope. Oh, it's just a normal rope? That's what he should be saying. There should also be a panel where Montana's mad that his one weapon was just taken away. Oh, yeah. It oh, no, my rope. The only thing I have. It doesn't stop him from fighting. He's trying to punch Spider-Man in the next panel, or two panels later. Yeah. Let me at him. You boys are having all the fun. Montana's not scared. By the the way, the chest expansion is the first of two brand new powers we'll hear about uh, in this issue. Excited for the other one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the, the the bottom of page 10, the last panel, I mean, both of these last panels are really good where it looks like yeah, it he's looks done great. for. I mean, Ditko's art really like, it just shines in these so fights. Exciting. Like no matter how dumb the exposition is, by the time we get to the fight, it's like, oh yeah, this looks so good. Yeah, it's, I mean, you really feel like Spider-Man has met his match here. I do, Marvel Comics in the 60s, like, you know, Stan Lee's such an, I, I love Stanley, I think he's a genius. Uh, but he's also a ridiculous personality that's fun to like uh, to like make fun of the Stanley outrageousness. Mm-hmm. But uh, one thing he was good at, man, was he picked because I think he hired everybody at Marvel. He like he had great taste in people like he just DC right. Comics, I assume, had more money and clout than Marvel at this time. But Stan had the eye for the talent because the best people were making stuff here. Yeah. And and uh, Ditko's art, man, that's that's it's just so great. Yeah. And no matter what, like this, the idea that he said, Ditko, you're doing Spider-Man, like instead of like, let's have have another curb guy doing Kirby style. Yeah, it was the right here. call. Yeah. It's just so great. No, I mean, it, I, I, because Ditko, it, it, these comics I read over and over yeah. and over again, um, I, I've always kind of rebelled against any artist who makes Spider-Man too normal looking or too friendly or, yes, you know, these that, comics like, look so weird. There, there is a like surreal strangeness to all of Ditko stuff that I, that I'm definitely used to. Like that's mm-hmm. when I think of Spider-Man, it's got to look just grotesque. Isn't quite the right word, yeah. but it's just like a little monstrous or twilight zone. I mean, and that's why Todd creepy for me. That's why yeah. Todd McFarlane, when he came out, he, even though if you go back and read those comics now, his art technically isn't good. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> it's not like anatomically. No, it's smarter. And or whatever. his storytelling is really bad, but there he looks 
everyone looks so weird in them. It, it, it was yeah. Like, he brought the weirdness back. It harkened back to these issues, and it, it made yeah. Me very Spidey excited. started looking more creepy and like actually insect like when McFarlane mm-hmm. drew him, which was fun. Yeah, Ramita had sort of shifted this book to like good looking uh, classic superhero stuff. Yeah, um, uh, and Ditko definitely started it more as a creepy, angry weirdo. There's, there's more of a homemade touch to it that seems kind of mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so one of the funniest cut twos and all of Spider Man happens like in the middle of this battle where Sp- Spidey. Like, oh, yeah, whipped I up a bunch those. of sand to like hide himself from the enforcers and but you know the fight is far from over he's in the thick of it we cut to Aunt May writing him a letter <laughs> for one panel for one panel hoping he takes his vitamin pills and it's like written in like script and it is so it's so funny it's such a great and then we cut to the high schoolers right and they're arguing over everyone is like fretting well, about Peter it also gives you a sense of how long he's been gone because he I mean you know they, they, they're all wondering why they haven't gotten mail from him yeah. And like, why is <laughs> yeah. why is Peter Parker sending anyone mail, let alone like every single student at his yeah. high school? Apparently? No one's heard from him. It's freaking him out. Um, so we see Aunt May writing him letters. We see the high school kids wondering what's going on with Peter. Betty Brant and J. Jonah Jameson are worried about. Well, Betty's worried about him. Betty's constantly worried that Peter's cheating on her. <laughs> yeah, she's Just constantly not secure in that relationship. She's not secure. And it's an Betty Brant has been an exciting character for many issues up until this point because of the history with her brother and stuff. Mm-hmm. But Stanley is right back to oh it's a woman she's worried about her man yeah jealous <laughs> shopping and jealous and wondering if he's a coward <laughs> so we move to the cave she, for the oh yeah kevin she just can't get her work done she's too worried about peter sleeping with liz allen or beautiful hollywood starlet force yeah this comic tells you that you 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 can't have women in the workforce uh prisons are soft mm-hmm. um uh, it's a libertarian manual so all right we're in we move into the cave this is the the final battle like uh spidey escapes into a cave because he needs a he's he's been overwhelmed so far that's right which i mean the one good thing about the setting of new mexico is spider-man can't just thwip a web and swing away yeah like he he doesn't have anything to latch onto, so he has to go run into a cave because yeah. it is Ditko does sort of, I don't know if it's Ditko or Lee, but they pick kind of good settings. It'll it'll be like, well, we'll put him on a boat this issue. And like, uh, oh, we'll have him in a in a museum with a bunch of weird stuff around. And mm-hmm. uh, oh, we'll, we'll get him to a cave somehow. And yeah. he'll just, he'll be in the dark. Um, Kev, what do we think of this fight in this cave? I mean, this is great. Uh, the enforcers lock him into the cave. They block it off with a boulder. Mm-hmm. He's creeping around. Do you think it's, it's a Christ uh, metaphor, Kevin? Do you think the boulder uh, blocking the way out of the cave? Interesting is, question. Is it I mean, if you say that, I think it is 100% meant to. Evoke, uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yeah, okay. Yes. I mean, it seemed pretty obvious to me, so I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, so Spidey in the dark starts picking off the enforcers one, one by, by one. one yeah, he's using the dark to his advantage. That's their mistake. Great. They're powerful together, but one by one, they're just they're just three dudes with kind of an impressive skill. Yeah, yeah it looks like Montana got some rope back though. The, so the, you oh, know, he must have a backup helpless. rope. Yeah, where does he keep it? I wonder. Like in his pants, or is it revealed that he can just magically manufacture it like out of his hands? Because I should have been told. Yeah, they've never. That should be a power that's established yeah i mean if they had been thinking uh when when he when he webs up fancy dan and like and pulls him up into the air it looks extra humiliating for fancy dan yeah now he's got me goblin help i mean fancy dan is like three foot one inch tall or something like that it also is not 
a typical Ditko panel. Like it doesn't look like anything else that Ditko has drawn. It looks a little rudimentary to me. Yeah. It looks like that's not an angle that Ditko is used yeah, to. Yeah, usually he'll find a reason to have like a really contorted body or something. Yeah, or, but but nope. Fancy Dan has a humiliating exit. <laughs> um okay, so so Spidey's starting to get the upper hand here, right? Uh he webs uh goblin closed with some wall that like delays goblin for a little bit. Yeah, then he knocks out Ox with one punch. One love tap. Yeah, little love tap. He just, he just needed a chance to punch Ox back and it's over. I mean, Ox is just a normal man, so I guess it makes sense. That's the other thing that I like reading comics as a kid. The idea that you can pull your punch <laughs> oh, right, right. or make something a love tap instead of actually, you know, hitting someone. is It's a lot like being grazed by a bullet. You know, everyone's like, oh, it just grazed me. I'm fine. Yeah. And then they just do it. I mean, that's not that's not really that's a not thing. a reality thing. That's a Marvel Comics thing. Yeah. Spidey pulling his punch. I don't know. I guess when your hero has to is punching like 90 percent of the time, you got to really try to get the nuance of punching right out there. All right. So the Hulk enters. How do you think Ox feels when the Hulk's in this cave, too? Because that was Ox's whole thing being strong. Oh, yeah. He's really outclassed. He's emasculated. It's kind of like you're the best looking guy in TV and then the best looking guy in movies walks in or something like that. Although I have to say, I mean, you know, Ox is like the Hulk if the Hulk wasn't green. So he's got that over on him. Like he the Ox gets to be normal, normal looking. looking person. You know, Yeah, Ox should come in here and ridicule the Hulk for being green. <laughs> uh-huh, look at you. Yeah. What's up, greenie? Mm-hmm. You can't wear a vest. Um, uh, but yeah, the Hulk steps out of this, this the fog and Spider-Man uh, adapts to it pretty quickly. Uh, like, oh, crap. The Hulk's hiding here. Yeah. Have they have they uh, seen each other before, Kev? I believe this is their first meeting. Uh, definitely within Spider-Man's comic, it's their first meeting. I don't believe Hulk doesn't have his own comic right now. So I don't know how else we would have met. Right. He does roll with it pretty fast. Like, OK, the Enforcers might not be a household name, but if the Hulk is a thing, I believe the whole country has heard about it. There's this massive, monstrous man that who can rip things apart. Con- yeah, like you'd know about it. And to find yourself in the same room with this creature, Spidey's surprised, but adjusts fast. And also like yeah. processes the information of, oh, Hulk hides in caves. We yeah. picked a cave that he happens to be hiding in. Okay, got it. Got it. I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> Not like, is this even the Hulk? What is happening? Who is this? Yeah. Where am I? Who um, knows what's going on? We get into a pretty cool fight between Spidey and the Hulk. Goblin wisely just watches, waits for Hulk to do his work for him. Um, I, Kevin, now I, where are you on uh, early Hulk stuff? Are you a fan or does it, do we need? I love, I mean, I love all this old Hulk stuff. This is, I think he gets a little less interesting in his early tales to astonish time. He's going to be there in a few months. Uh, but this is like post his comic post Avengers. This is maybe shortly after, uh, he just fought the entire fantastic four or whatever, <laughs> uh, for two issues. Um, the Hulk is basically like an antagonist at this point. He's just fun. He's like a, a hurricane walking around the Marvel world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that he's a character that can't die. He never has his, he doesn't have his own comic or his own home for a while, but like he, people love him. People like, are fascinated by him. Yeah. But it's so hard to write a comic with him because he has to be see, good guys, a protagonist, a bad guy? yeah. not an antagonist, but he works so well as an antagonist. He seems like he should be the bad guy, but people love him too much. Every Halloween, I love seeing like little kids dressed as the Hulk. Like the Hulk just works. People just, yeah. Uh, kids like with their fake Hulk hands. I mean, a big, strong guy with, by the way, do you know who created the Hulk hands? Jesse Falcon. Oh, really? 
Yes. UCB yeah. Jesse. I didn't know that. Kevin, you knew that? Yeah, I did know that. Oh, wow. Um, Good move, it's like Jesse. one of the biggest things that their toy line ever invented, came up with. It was Jesse Falcon's idea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a big, strong guy who's green. Who knew that that's all it takes? <laughs> that's all, America was waiting. Um, yeah. I mean, at this point, I think the Hulk still hasn't even gotten into his established. If he gets angry, he becomes the Hulk. Oh, that's not even true. He just he just becomes yeah, the that's, Hulk. He just is the Hulk sometimes. And it changes. Like initially it was at night he would become the Hulk. But at this point, I mean, I don't know because it's it's this Avengers era Hulk. It's not really established because you don't spend any time with him very quickly when he becomes a Tales to Astonish feature, which is, again, like I think issue 60 is when that happens. So it's a few months away. Mm-hmm. That's when they get to the established. Don't make me angry. It is crazy how I mean, I love these Marvel comics and it doesn't really surprise me that they're successful. But then I think about like just how haphazard it all was like, you know, well, yeah. me, like, you know, everybody I know is like writing stories and scripts and there's like outlines and notes and like thinking through everything. And then this there's phenomenon of pop it. culture, just like, well, he's he becomes the Hulk sometimes like when we need him to be the Hulk. I remember I had a friend who um, we would watch Alias, the tele, the JJ yeah. show Alias. And I think somewhere in the fourth season, she was saying, I start realizing they don't know where they're going. I'm like, no, it's impossible to know where you're going. Like, yeah, there's no way that they mapped out five seasons ahead of time. It's yeah. just you're throwing stuff against the wall and hoping that some of it sticks. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and that's what they're doing here in a really thrilling way. Yeah. I'm also a big fan of my Hulk who can speak a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, when he gets too monosyllabic, I don't enjoy him as much. And he's in, he's firmly talking here. You call me insulting names. You think I'm a brainless fool. If only you knew the truth. We'll do, why don't you just tell us the truth? Yeah, you could have let me know. Yeah. yeah and the time well, that, that's what the Hulk that. sort of implies. The Hulk implies he's Bruce Banner there. I didn't yeah. know. It wasn't clear he knew that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That, that his identity is Bruce Banner, not the Hulk. This is another case where do, do we get the goblin? No, he doesn't capture the goblin, right? No. Yeah. Goblin he, gets away. Yeah. The, uh, he only gets the enforcers. The Hulk. I mean, he's not even really trying to get the Hulk. The Hulk goes away. The enforcers are knocked out and the goblin escapes. Right. Several issues. Spidey's not really gotten his man. Yeah. Um, yeah. He I mean, uh, well, I guess one he didn't one get, issue, Doc, he didn't get Doc, Doc a while back. Well, there's not yeah. there's this is not a thrilling confu- conclusion for someone watching of like, you're right, of like, wow, and Spider-Man triumphed in the end. I mean, every almost every one of these early Steve, uh, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee comics ends in in sort of like everything going wrong. Yeah, yeah. There's not there's not the there's Charlie n- Brown effect. Right. You know, yeah. for him of like, OK, he does often catch the villains at least. Gets, but it's yeah, there's an angsty end there. It's usually. Yeah, I caught the villains, but but Aunt May still broke. Yeah, and because I, really, when you look at it, like if you look at it in terms of story structure, guy with a problem at the beginning is how most stories start. Person with a problem. His problem is he wants money for Aunt May. Yeah. So he doesn't win. No, because he doesn't get the money. The problem isn't like I better go catch the Green Goblin. His, yeah. his problem is, is he wants money. Yeah, he makes almost no progress on that. Yeah. Um. So but, and the Goblin was a whole, his whole thing was not being caught. I don't think he could even be caught because we don't know who he is yet. Yes. So until he's found out to be Norman Osborn. Spider-Man's not even trying to catch him. And then when he does, or he is trying, but he's, it's never happens. And when he does find out it's Norman Osborn, he doesn't want to catch him because it's the dad of his best friend. So this story wraps up with, (laughs) um, this story wraps up with, uh, the movie being canceled, right? Because everybody was a real villain and they fought each other. (laughs) That's right. We accidentally cast. Oh, what's that? Uh, the vampire movie where Defoe is a real vampire. Uh, it was like Shadow of Nosferatu or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, 
it's as as if the movie Nos, Nosferatu accidentally cast the real, not oh, even accidentally, like they on purpose cast the real Nosferatu. I didn't know that's what it was. And no. so he keeps trying to murder all the women in the movie and like right. trying to suck all their blood. And that's funny. Um, <laughs> this is the dumb version of that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Spidey doesn't get his money because of the fine print. Oh, by the way, before that, we we see his second new power. Oh yeah, when yeah. He's hiding from the Hulk. He says, "My spider stamina." He's underwater, holding his breath, and he says, "My spider stamina enables me to." remain without air for double the time a human can endure. Yeah, yeah that's so which specific. Is so specific. Yeah, which double, like, you can hold your breath for 45 seconds underwater, maybe? Yeah, so yeah. he gets a minute and a half? Yeah. Not too powerful. Uh, yeah. Like, he's... wouldn't you want to say, like, oh, wow, I can hold my breath for 10 minutes at a time or something like that? Yeah. And, and can spiders do that? Uh, it doesn't yeah. track. Um, he's strong. <laughs> my lungs yeah. are spider strong. Uh, but I also like Spider-Man goes back in and saves the enforcers. He doesn't want the Hulk to, to beat No, that's up. really good. He's like, if he leaves the enforcers in the cave with the Hulk, who knows what'll happen? Yeah, the Hulk might stomp on him, murder them. He doesn't want that on his conscience, so he goes and saves them. And but his plan of how he turns them in is like, oh, here's uh, an army helicopter. I'm sure they'll recognize who the enforcers are, yeah. and then arrest them. So I can just leave because it's too much trouble for me. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wish there was a scene where the army helicopter is like, who are these guys? <laughs> yeah. Who's this short dude in a fedora and this big guy with a torn phone book around? Him? So the 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 movie is called off um, yeah bj the movie producer has moved on to wanting to make a movie about the hulk yeah smart um, uh, he starts he tries to smoke a cigar spidey puts it out with his web that's not spoken to but it's there yeah it's not spoken to it's sort of just a dick move yep. yeah and then, yeah exactly there's no mention of it's it's like what i was talking about where the artist just this will be fun something funny and then but it's ignored and then spider-man is leaning against a bureau in <laughs> <laughs> i love that <laughs> He's, he doesn't get the money that he was promised, but he does get money for expenses. Right. So he gets some. So he does get sum. the stipend to like go back to New York. New York. Right. So instead of flying, he rides the bus. To Which, save by the way, thing. would take days. Because even if they're in New Mexico, no, he goes back to Hollywood. Okay, yeah, yeah. so he goes back to Hollywood, yeah. which is another, how does he get there? Does he get on a plane? Like, we don't know. <laughs> but he goes back to Hollywood and then he's given money for a flight back to New York, but instead takes the bus, which would take, by the way, I've taken this trip by train, a nonstop yeah. train, and it took three days. Yeah. So this is a four day trip. Four or five probably. day thing. Um, Who's writing letters to all his friends during this time? <laughs> and then the in the next panel, we see uh, the Green Goblin arriving in New York and it says, but using his flying broomstick, the mysterious Green Goblin reaches the eastern metropolis a few hours ahead of Spider-Man. A few hours? <laughs> yeah, you should have done better time than that, I think. <laughs> well, so he's on that broomstick for days, yeah. sleeping on it. Where do, you re- where do you refuel when you're over Kansas on your flying broomstick? Do you pull up to an Exxon station and like fill up your broomstick? Um, uh, and then the Green Goblin changes behind his... Uh, yeah, this is cool. The mystery, his, we don't know who he is. His little square his box. Square box. Which which doesn't make any sense in terms of like as a machine. Yeah. Like, why is that panel just sticking up behind him? You know, it's like it's it looks like a panel that maybe it's a mirror. I don't I know. I mean, like, if you're Steve Ditko, you're drawing three comics a month. You don't have time to work out all the details. We need him yeah. to be hidden. I'll just put a big square box in front of his head. But, but I believe he's often behind that square box. Like next time yeah. we see him, I think he is also behind that square box again. Yeah. I think it's supposed to be like a panel of a bureau that he opens up and he's on. Might there's be. like a mirror on the other side or something like that. Um, but man, this panel where uh, the Green Goblin is taking off his mask by like. Ooh, it's so creepy looking. It's so creepy. It's great. You 
see him from behind and he's stretching the mask yes. over his head. It's yes. really great. It's beautiful. And the mask with no eyes, uh, no pupils looks great too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, like and, sort of and uh, fake eyelashes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it's so cute. It's very goth. Um, and then basically we catch the, up the with angsty Peter, ending. Peter Parker, who uh, slowly heads for the subway yeah. <laughs> after the bus terminal. Yeah. Um, just saying like Green Goblin somewhere. I must never relax. I must always be on guard. Yeah. He ends. He's he's uh, he's stressed out. Yeah, this is a good emo angsty ending for Peter Parker. I love it. I, you know, this is a great issue. I, it's fun. Uh, uh, I, you know, I agree with Stan. It gets really good when the Hulk shows up, too. I love that part. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I waited. I'm glad I didn't stop reading. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, would you ever stop reading if you bought a comic? And yeah, and he really assumes we're ready to abandon him at any moment. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> I'm 10 pages in. There's no Hulk. I'm throwing this. Away. I was lied to. Let's give out our award. And also, what, what does he care? I already bought it. Yeah, on, what does he have? He already got us on the hook. I think Stan just wants a certain number of words per panel sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> all right. What's, yeah, what's, let's do our award. Do our award. So, uh, Best panel, uh, visually. Uh, Scott, you're going to... Visually, I I picked the Enforcer's introduction because it's just so funny to me. I'm going to pick when Spidey initially throws off all three Enforcers. It's on page 11, panel three. Well, that's also such good storytelling um, because all of the previous panels, um, Ditko has been working in this six-panel grid and it's been getting more and more claustrophobic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we cut and out to a wide shot. Cut to a wide panel with him throwing them off. It it really is like a big dramatic heroic yeah. move. I mean, he knows the. You can just tell that these guys have done hundreds and hundreds of comics by this point. Like they know the mechanics of it. That's mine. Kev, what's your pick? I'm taking page 15, panel two, where the Hulk comes out of the smoke. Oh yes, uh, Spider-Man yes. sort of hanging on the wall sideways. It's just so. Big. I do so love much that text on that that panel, and yet it's so evocative. It's scary. It's the kind of thing where in a modern comic, the the artist would want to make that an entire page yeah Um, yeah and it's it's really just again in a six panel grid type thing you know you You gotta make it work much and he's good enough to be still powerful yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh stanley dialogue uh what's our favorite stanley dialogue my pick is we talked about it a little bit before is just spider-man's dialogue (laughs) on page five if i accept i don't want any interviews no publicity no sights here no phony romance buildups with starless i that makes me laugh every time i read it uh i'm gonna pick aunt may's letter uh it really (laughs) and i hope you're taking your vitamin pills peter dear also be sure to get enough sleep you know how easily you tire I think that's just, I don't know. It's not, usually I try to pick the most outrageous Stanley dialogue, but that just legit made me laugh so much that I got to give mm-hmm. it up. Uh, I'm going with the very silly page 10. Uh, uh, but one thing he didn't count on is the power of chest expansion. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So stupid, but I love it. How about an overall highlight? We do an overall highlight and low light now. Um, I'm going to pick the easy one for you guys. I'm going to say the highlight is uh, the introduction of the Green Goblin. Uh, the uh, I'll, I'll be more specific. I'll say the whodunit aspect of Green Goblin is my highlight. Hmm. Um, it, it hooked like, who is he? Yeah, it hooked me. Definitely. Well, right could just have beginning. been a goofy hero, and they might have just done it because there's no room in this sto- in this issue to explain anybody else. I wonder. I you know you know how sometimes an artist will draw something and it it it, it didn't you know like the death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah. The fact that they put in the sound effect of snap. Yeah. Um, made them have to kill her. Yeah. You know, like where that wasn't the actual intent. I wonder right. if if Ditko who, who decided it was going to be this great big mystery. Yeah. It's such. Well, I think I remember reading somewhere that after the big man, they realized, oh, we should have dragged this out. Oh, yeah. And I think this is that attempt. This is basically, it has the enforcers in it again. 
Batman. He's another guy who wants to be a crime boss. I think it literally was, let's bring another character in and then drag it out for a while so we can drop lots of suspicious people who could be the Green Goblin for a while. It, I loved... I mean, I, I had only the three uh, pocketbooks of this, so I only went up to issue 20. Right. We were the same way. Kevin and I were the same way growing up. We didn't know what happened. We didn't know. They started reprinting everything in Marvel Tales, which was great, yep. um, but weirdly updating every reference. I don't know if you ever knew that. Oh, I didn't know that. They did they, that? They would redo the lettering and, and oh. update any reference. So in this one, if they talked about the Beatles, they would have like put in Duran Duran or oh, something oh, yes, wow. to not make you say, these are anachronistic, whereas oh. everyone's clothing isn't enough. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't but, know that. Um, but, uh, yeah, pre-internet, you wouldn't have access to the issues. You either had yes. to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars to buy copies or just hope that Marvel chose to reprint them. Or sort of get the story from recaps that people yeah. you know would talk about in an issue. But uh, it, it, this may history was so intriguing to me that um, when I started buying Spider-Man comics regularly, which was around 232 or whatever, the first one that I bought was the introduction of the Hobgoblin, yeah. which was such a great mystery until yes. it petered out. Um, but but it, 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 it gave me that feeling again of like, who is this? Who is this? It's 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 so great. I don't yeah. know why more comics don't I mean, it's uh, what makes mystery. Twin Peaks season one is elevated by just having a, a whodunit that they obviously had no idea what they were going to do with mm -hmm. it. It works. Yeah. Um, so wait, do we have, we picked, that's my highlight. You guys got to pick highlights. Highlights. Uh, my highlight. You got to just pick the, an issue of highlights magazine. We'll <laughs> describe the hidden pictures page to everybody and we'll just go through it. Uh, I'm not prepared for that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Have, All right. Well, uh, next time. I, I misunderstood what a highlight was <laughs> from the previous times we've done this podcast yeah. and not done that. Yeah. It's misleading. Uh, my highlight's the Hulk. I love oh, it. Yeah, it's the first yeah. time he's fought him. The Hulk overpowers him so much. I'm also a huge Hulk fan. Mm -hmm. So I mm -hmm. like seeing two of my favorite Marvel characters kind of just go at yeah, it. Yeah, love it. I think, you know, most most of the time for an issue of Spider-Man, I would pick uh, the highlight for me would be the uh, soap opera elements of mm -hmm, it. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, this fight with the Enforcers and the Goblin oh, uh, yeah. it lasts uh, through it lasts four pages and it is it's so dynamic. Yeah, that, it's great. Um, it, it really, you know, most of the time in reading comics, you don't really feel a sense of danger in this in, in this one. You definitely do. OK, uh, low lights. Uh, Kevin, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. If I'm going first, it's the plan. It's convoluted. It doesn't make sense. It, it never it's, it's one of these things where it's like, why did you need to trick Spider-Man and think he was making a movie that doesn't add anything? You know, like you got him to meet you out in the middle of the city. Just have the enforcers there. Yeah. Well, it, you can start your plan. It really I mean, that's mine, too. And it's really um, in the comic that I wrote. Uh, yeah, you get to like comment. On I get to comment on it because uh, at, at the end, um, they uh, Deadpool and Spider-Man are walking through the um, the Hollywood lot. Mm -hmm. And Spider-Man says, oh, you know, I realize why this all feels a little familiar. This is exactly how I met the Green Goblin a few years back. <laughs> and then I got to put in the editor's note of it's true. It happened in Amazing Spider-Man 14. And then Deadpool's like the Green Goblin tricked you into starring in a movie. The <laughs> first time he met you the same guy who knocked up your girlfriend and killed her <laughs> um, and then uh you know 
I, what's interesting about writing this was I, I just wrote Spider-Man saying, yeah, it's a little silly when you think about it. So I try not to, um, because Deadpool is always a character who is sort of more aware than the fourth wall, but Spider-Man is not. So the editor made me put in Spider-Man saying, wait, wait, what'd you say? Oh yeah. Um, because Deadpool is not supposed to know that information. Okay. Right, right, Um, right. But that was not in the original, the original script. Uh, I definitely love the fun of like being like, yeah, if Spider-Man ever really had to think of all his continuity at once, it would drive him insane because so much has happened to him. It's so stupid, this plan. And it's so, it's so funny to me that it's the first introduction of the Green Goblin. So I, you you know, you explicitly give credit to Amazing Spider-Man 14 in this issue, but my favorite C, C previous issue thing is when somebody calls Daredevil blind. Oh, And then you're like, editor's note, this joke is not insensitive as Daredevil is actually blind. See Daredevil issue number one for details. (laughs) Well, that actually, (laughs) interestingly enough, there was supposed to be a different joke in there. Uh Um, And... Just I forget if it was the way Riley drew it or I forget exactly. It it just didn't. The joke I had didn't seem to work. OK. And so that was one of these things where the issue was so late. And, yeah. And I was getting um, pages. Literally, the, the pages were so late that I was getting. You had to turn them around time. like right away. I was away. getting one at a time and I had to dialogue them one at a time. And I, I've got this one in Hawaii um, when I was on vacation. The issue was supposed to have been done two months earlier. Mm. And I finally got this page when I was in Hawaii and I looked at it and I was like, oh man, my joke doesn't work. My original joke doesn't yeah. work. And so then it was me at four in the morning, literally, while I'm supposed to be on vacation trying to figure out a joke that works. And I, I am very proud of that joke. That, I love it. That was a very... See uh, Daredevil number one for the for, for most details. famous aspect of the <laughs> yeah, character. If anyone doesn't be know like, about oh, Daredevil. Yeah. Oh, Die Hard takes place in a building. See the movie Die Hard to, <laughs> right. to find out that yes. fun fact. Um, my lo- So that's your, the plot, Kevin, the, the basic setup is your low light. Yeah, that's right. My, my, my low, low light's going to be the uh, step back of Betty Brandt. I feel like she's, she's kind of fallen back into Stan Lee token female character and she'd, she'd been cooler and she will be cooler again later. So she's, she's, she's also just like, she's, she feels like a pawn in a chess game. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Not, not a character. Yeah. It feels and she, like, and oh, she, wow, we hit on the Liz thing, which is really interesting. So we need someone to be like damsel in distress mode. Yeah. And she had been kind of already evolved to be cool. So that's why mm-hmm. I'm a little bummed. To I see mean, that. she's a, she's like a working woman who's interested in a high school student. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, I, I mean, they've, she's older. Right? Isn't she? She's only a little older. We we because they established she dropped out of high school to take this job to pay off her brother's gambling debt. Oh, so she's seventeen, probably. They've made her like maybe eighteen. She might be a year or two older. Okay, still, it's not like a twenty-six-year-old woman picking up a seventeen-year-old year. She's not more than a year older. I think they they pretty much make her. I say, why not? Let's do it. Let's make her make her thirty years old, going after a (laughs) seventeen-year-old. I'm I'm interested to see Mm -hmm. where that story goes. Uh, Scott, what you, you and pick uh, I think I've mentioned this before in this in the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon. I think he asks out Betty Brant, and she's like, "I'm way too old for you." Oh, <laughs> because an 18 year old wouldn't be the secretary of J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, and definitely wouldn't be now. No, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's not Mad Men era. Yeah. Um, no, for me, for me, the the low light is the plot. Although I can't really <laughs> say it's a low light when I based an entire issue of my own comic yeah, book. On yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> um, it is. It is fun. It's like it is. A, it is a really joyful issue. Oh yeah, I mean, it, I mean, it harkens and the plot makes works better for a comedy issue yeah. than it totally harkens back to when spider-man was fun yes you're not weighed um, down
down by like decades of like continuity and yeah. stuff. I really didn't like reading Spider-Man comics for a good uh, chunk of time uh, previous to, to Brand New Day and Slot because just they were so dramatic and they were so downer and, and yeah. you know, so much of his, you know, people writing them didn't remember that he's supposed to be funny. You know, yes. I, I based that Kevin, that sounds like something you would say a lot. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a he's a character you want to be. Yeah. I based my first comic that I wrote was for an issue of Deadpool. But um, I was given the assignment to write about uh, Scott Adsit's character. <laughs> yeah, um, that was that was like, hey, do you want to write a comic? And it has to be about Scott Adsit. <laughs> I, was <laughs> I was like, like, OK, I was like, OK, yeah, yeah, sure. And and and, you know, I think I've always wanted to write Spider-Man. So I, I naturally my ideas go there. But it it came out of me thinking about Scott Adsit in the Marvel Universe of, you know, parallel universes are all about characters characters making different choices and yeah. branching off into divergent paths. So I started thinking about Scott Adsit, who had never taken classes at Second, Second City. City yeah. Right. So and and he'd still be the same guy who's like a funny guy. Yes. Um, wondering what what would happen if I had done that path. So when I started thinking of that idea, I was like, well, we got to get like a funny superhero in, in here to teach him how to be funny. And Spider-Man yes. is the guy that you think of when yes. you think of funny. Absolutely. But but what was interesting to me about writing the Spider-Man Deadpool issue is Deadpool is naturally so wacky yeah. that you then the tendency for me and I didn't quite know how to break out of this was to make Spider-Man the straight man. Character. Yeah, he's got to call out how insane Deadpool's being. Yeah, which is which is. I don't know. Sometimes I think if I were to write more of them together, they might take turns being the straight man yeah. or maybe just they're both crazy. I don't yeah. know what it is. It's, yeah. Deadpool is such a fourth wall breaker aware of comics and Spidey's more just aware of. I don't know. It's, it's a weird distinction. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Why do they have a, a big successful comic book together when they should be kind of canceling themselves? Out? Yeah. I, I guess if you wrote it like Step Brothers, where they're just two insane people, two idiots just would, like bouncing off each other. Yeah. yeah. I think there's also an aspect that like I've always thought that Spider-Man is the annoying superhero at least he was pre-deadpool so like when he hangs out with captain america captain america's like oh this guy's good at his job but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a great uh, no that's a great they got point. that in the civil war movie they they uh they touched on that kind of yeah a little bit oh, and then so like deadpool is sort of just like a worse version like basically spider-man's hanging out with what it's like to hang out with spider-man i will say that so he looks at deadpool's like oh this is me <laughs> yeah I, I, I do sometimes when i read spider-man i think that's a crutch that writers lean on is by not making him actually actually funny and just making him annoying. Yeah. You know, like I, I, I don't like that when writers do that, where they're, they just make him a motor mouth and they yeah. make and and his jokes are corny. And yeah. People get annoyed, and and because then you're on the character's side of the ones getting annoyed. Yeah. I don't like that. I like you know like yeah, Chip, it's interesting. Chip uh, Zdarsky, who's writing Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man now. Mm -hmm. Like he actually writes Spider-Man funny. Like yeah. he's got good joke construction. Yeah. yeah. He can actually write funny jokes. Ah. You know, like that's that's. I guess it's just thing. harder. It's just easier to write annoying. You yeah. Know, so well, yeah. I mean, I definitely want him funny, but I think if you're a superhero who's trying to save the world, and there's a guy over there making light of it i think that like it would bother you yeah I, like, I if you were a fireman how... and you're all putting out a fire and there's one guy making well no that's how they normally write him like yeah. that's not very funny <laughs> i can see how they yeah but i think even if it's funny you're like somebody's life is at risk right yeah <laughs> well i think it's like uh, we see we see spider-man very confrontational with the fantastic four every time they run into each other in ditko time but he's not yeah. usually like that so it could just be there's times and places for these different modes. Well, he's also like grown up to be this 
antisocial weirdo. Yeah. You know, because everyone has beaten him up his whole life and yeah. ostracized him. So, it's, yeah. you know, anytime he's around people, I can only imagine him oh, he, not fitting in. He's five right. degrees away from being a serial killer when he gets these powers. <laughs> um, should we do our uh, recommendations, Kev? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, that's our last segment, I think. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, uh, yes, it is. We have no reader mail. So uh, definitely it's our last segment. <laughs> we just did it. We did an episode yesterday. So we we, we may be unpopular. And mail. also we used up our small amount of reader mail yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, let's do some recommendations. Um, yeah. Any comics at all we do, Scott. So um, any any era, any time, just yeah. something you'd like to recommend. Uh, Kevin, do you want to go first? or? Sure. I'm going to recommend a comic called Rachel Rising. Uh, this is by Terry Moore. He also did uh, Strangers in Paradise. Mm. It's probably his most yeah. famous comic. Uh, Rachel Rising, um, he did that uh, uh, not right after Strangers in Paradise ended, but uh, um, it's like the third book he sort of did. Okay. Uh, and it's about a woman who, the book starts with a woman who's been killed and she wakes up and she doesn't know who killed her or what's going on. Ooh. And she kind of goes back to her life to figure out what's happening with my life. Mm. Uh, and it's very interesting. It's very cool. Terry Moore writes really great female characters. Um, and uh, it's it's a finite story. I, I don't remember exactly how many issues it is. It's like 40 or 50 issues. But, oh, man, is it good. Oh, wow. Okay. I haven't heard of that. I love yeah. that recommendation. That sounds great. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, the one you actually found uh, before we started recording, Kevin. Fantastic Four issue nine, was it? Yes. Um, because it has the same plot as this Spider-Man issue. It's the Fantastic Four get lured into making a movie only to find out that a supervillain is behind it, which is Namor the Submariner. It's an even... Yeah, he's, di- he's directing the film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, these supervillains are made to be in Hollywood because they <laughs> immediately get to like very high positions of power. Like, director, you've been in Hollywood a week? Give me a break. Um, gills or no gills. I mean, it's, it's a great social move. But um, uh, it's early Fantastic Four before they have kind of found out what kind of comic they really want to be. But it's... Uh, it's, it's 62, so it might even be... It, it might predate I think it, Spider-Man. Yeah, I think it does by maybe a year or so. Or Amazing Fantasy. Wow. So a uh, fun one to check out. That's mine. Uh, Scott, what's your recommendation? Um, I think, you know, in reading this issue and in reading the the early issues of Spider-Man where um, the where, where what was exciting about it was that the status quo was constantly upended. Yeah. Um, that was so exciting to me as as a kid is seeing actual change in these comics. And it and it hooked me and it hooked me for like, oh, I wonder how this subplot is resolved. Uh, Liz Allen likes him suddenly. Well, yeah. how does that resolve? You know? That kind of feeling is so um, exciting to me that um, when I was thinking about what to recommend, I I started thinking about um, a comic which just ended its run uh, of 144 issues, which is Robert Kirkman's Invincible, Mm. which in speaking to Robert about it at one point, um, he really wanted to do what the Marvel Universe did in those early years of constantly changing status quo, but he wanted to never stop doing that Uh because at a certain point, Marvel figured out what people liked about Spider-Man. Yeah. And they got more, and it Locked just in. became stagnant. Um, Robert wanted to do a, a comic where um, things, you know, I, I think he said to me once that I wanted to do a comic where if Spider-Man got six arms, he would continue to have six arms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it it's not just gone in a couple issues. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't reverse itself. Yeah. So it, it just wrapped up. If you've never read it, um, start from the beginning and read all 144 issues. It's it's really a fascinating look at what you can do with the medium. Um, 
if the character is aging in real time and yeah. um, it, it is constantly changing. And this is Kirkman who does Walking Dead, who yes. created Walking Dead. But does the Invincibles predate Walking Dead? Or uh, They're around the same time, I think. Kevin, um, yeah, you know that. Just, I think it just barely predated uh, The Walking Dead. There's technically more uh, issues of The Walking Dead because uh, they're able to churn those out a little faster, yeah. I think. There's been some stretches where Invincible, I think, slowed way down. Mm-hmm. Um, Invincible definitely predated it because I think it was the first thing. He had done some things before that, something called Battle Pope that he self-published. But Invincible was his first thing that uh, anyone Is read. it Invincible? Invincible. 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 Sorry. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, and like the main character is basically like, uh, at least in issue one, it feels like the story is, oh, Superman has a kid mm-hmm. and that kid has Superman's powers mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, yeah, it changes a lot. I read like maybe the first 60, 70 issues and then I sort of lost track of it. Yeah. Uh, so I have no idea. It's been so long. It's really I'm fascinating. Sure it's completely oh, different. Cool. Every arc, something interesting happens and they have to deal with it and they don't, they don't back down off of it. it it's really just a like, so here's a big crazy idea and the goal at the end of it is not to get you back to the status quo it's to deal with whatever happens with this big crazy idea it's really well done and I think a little bit Invincible's early success because it was doing pretty well gave him enough uh, uh, like uh, status so he could do the, a black and white zombie comic mm-hmm. that I don't think he thought would get me past issue 6 or 12 right. well the right. interesting thing that in talking to him about The Walking Dead um, recently um, I moderated a panel that he was on at Comic Con last year and we were talking about how when he pitched The Walking Dead, he pitched it as an alien um, book. Mm. So it, it was zombies, but the... But the it turns out that it's like an but alien. But it turns out that it's an alien thing because the people buying it were like, well, that's not it though, right? It just <laughs> zombies. Like, yeah. what's, what's the ultimate plan? And so he pitched like, oh, well, it's aliens actually. <laughs> and then about six issues in or something, it was a big hit. And um, they the were publisher like, was like, so what's going on with these aliens? He's like, I got a big confession. I don't have any intention of bringing the aliens in. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, well, it works. Yeah, it works. So you got it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like the number one selling independent comic. It's a, yeah, um, yeah. It outsells most Marvel and DC stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, Cool. All right. Well, great recommendations, everybody. Um, I think that's it, Kevin. We, have I missed anything? Uh, we covered everything well. You did a great job. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, Scott, thanks so much for coming on here. Um, Thank you very much. Uh, if, if people are interested in reading um, any of my comics, the three, uh, the 35 pages I've written, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the the Deadpool one, the Scott Adsit one I was talking about is in, is in some of the Deadpool collections by uh, Jerry Duggan and Brian Posehn. And then the um, Secret Wars one I wrote, which is... Uh, uh, during the Secret Wars event. It's in something called Secret Wars Journal, I think. Yes, Secret um, Wars Journal number three, I think. Yeah, is it's the... in a trade uh, about Secret Wars Journal, and it's all about uh, Planet Hulk, um, where everyone is a Hulk. Yeah. Um, and what if Peter Parker were uh, also were also was also a Hulk? Didn't get uh, wasn't a spider, but also, yeah, uh, got. To but we apply it. his personality and emotional yeah. situation to that. And then Spider Man Deadpool, the issue that we're talking about a lot on this, if you're interested in reading. I think is in uh, a trade called Spider-Man Deadpool side pieces, I think. Um, And it's the first story in there. And then listen to my podcast, Comedy Bang Bang. And I also have a podcast based on uh, the band R.E.M., which I do with uh, Adam Scott called Are You Talking <laughs> R.E.M. Re-Me, which uh, we has a few episodes out right now. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> that's a that's a uh, you need to have a sh- shorter title. Like, screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, the worst thing long title podcast. the name of another podcast and then try to force a second one into it. Scott. I hope <laughs> right. that's not what you're doing with that one. And do you guys actually screw now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> terribly awkward and and, and <laughs> several lawsuits. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Thanks for being on the for show, me, Scott. I really appreciate it. Kevin, I'll uh, talk to you next episode and not before. Yeah, talk to you soon. All right. I won't talk to you other than on podcast. Great. <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man. Campfire.